Maintenance Disruptors, this is Blair Fraser speaking and welcome to the first of the series on effective communications for the rate maintenance and reliability professionals. Uh, I posted a couple of weeks back around uh, on LinkedIn around my journey around the communication of really what drives effective communication. I found it to be a, a passion, something that really gives me a lot of purpose in life is, is around communication. So some of you might have, uh, have known me for um, kind of emerging technologies, IoT, AI, and breaking down that concept and trying to get it into ways that we can consume it, whether you're a technology professional or someone that's outside of our industry that want to understand this technology. And that's what really drove a lot of my passion. So what is this all about? This is all about why maintenance and reliability communications goes wrong and how to fix it. And of course, this is part of the Maintenance Disrupted podcast. So fundamentally, what we get wrong in maintenance and reliability communications, and if you look back at our schooling and all the education certification that we teach, is it's not, we really don't focus too much on communication, if at any. So where do we go wrong? And fundamentally, there is a lot of things that we can improve on, but the reality of it, when we have a presentation or we're doing a uh, public speaking event, whether we're pitching to our bosses to get that reliability initiative funded, uh, whether you're a vendor and you're trying to sell your products or whether you're a startup and you're trying to you know, capture that VC money, all of which I've done, is everything relies on presenting and presenting meaningful, actionable uh, information so that they can, and what I'm going to call retellability and how that's important. So what did we get wrong? Fundamentally, it is this. It is too much information. We simply pack too much information. Actually, it's a, it's a concept that I'm going to call, um, or that I don't call it that, but industry calls it the curse of knowledge. It's this idea that we have so much knowledge in our heads and we believe, we're biased to believe that everyone understands that. And the analogy I'll give is, I once told my wife that I did a PM in our garage on the automatic garage door opener. She said, that's fantastic, but what the heck is a PM? Right, I just assumed everyone knew what a PM was. So before we get into um, really what's wrong with communications, how I think we can fix it, is um, why is it important to begin with? So before I do that, I'm gonna tell you a story. So what I wanna picture is, is picture um, a CEO, this gentleman, no idea who this is, it's a stock image from the internet. So what you wanna do is picture he's up on stage and he's presenting to his team of a thousand people. And where this reference comes from is a book called The Compelling Computer, Compelling Communicator by Tim Pollard. Uh, he, he founded a company called Iradium, um, focusing on training for communication. And I highly recommend it. If you want uh, any insights into that, please let me know and I'll send you a link to it. Um, and what he talks about in his book is he went and attended this CEO presentation, giving it to uh, many people. And what he went up on stage with was um, 10 things they must get right in order to be successful next year, right? So very catchy title. And if you look at that presentation, what he did was he captivated the audience. He was very engaging. He didn't have his hands in his pockets. He didn't seem nervous. In fact, well, he's a CEO, right? So he went out there with so much passion. And in fact, he got a standing ovation at the end of his presentation, right? If, if we're looking at, if you've ever spoke at a conference, some conferences do give you feedback. You know, was this information relevant? Check. Was this information or did the speaker um, have passion, right? Was, did he communicate those type of things? And the reality is all of that stuff doesn't matter. And I'm going to prove that with this example of the CEO. So if you remember, his title was 10 things that they must get right in order to be successful next year. So the whole point of this was the action he wanted those people to take was getting those 10 things right. So what Tim did, 
and he tells a story in the book, is he went out there and asked people in the audience, can you list some of those 10 things he talked about? Right? And the average was two, one or two things. Well, I think we have to do this and this, right? But they couldn't remember the things. Yes, they were motivated. Yes, they were engaged. Yes, they gave me a standing ovation. But what his presentation failed to do was deliver that retellability. Did they drive a specific action from that presentation? And there's a big difference, right? On the flip side, I'm going to introduce you to someone named Eva Kaur. Some of you might know her. Um, she is um, a very... Uh, she has a very interesting story to tell. Um, this is Eva. And what Eva does is she is a Holocaust survivor. And I'll, I'll post a, um, a link to her, her YouTube talk. She has many. And if you were to look at how we traditionally gauge um, public speakers is, are they engaging? Are, you know, did they captivate the audience? And here's Eva. And she tells a story about her um, survival through the Holocaust. And, and I will warn you, it is about the Holocaust and there's some disturbing facts that she talks about. But when you compare Eva to the CEO, the CEO went there with so much commanding presence. I'm sure his suit was, was pressed and, and it, was, it was rehearsed. Um, and then here comes Eva, right? Eva, um, while she is dressed nice, you know, she doesn't have a commanding presence. She's a, she's a small old lady, right? She gets up there and if you see that microphone, she had to bring that microphone down. But the story she tells and the way she crafted and delivers her message is something you will never forget. And I guarantee you, if you watch this, the retellability of this story will echo in your life forever. You'll never forget what happened to her, how she told that story and what she learned from that story. So this is a great example of how we get communication wrong. In fact, my 12 year old daughter is going through school and, and she had a challenge to present. She came up to me and said, dad, I have to present. I'm nervous. I said, well, that's great because nervous is a normal reaction. You're lucky where your dad happens to do this for a living. So let's go through it. She gave me the topic. I said, this is a really good topic. Let's work on it. And I said, what do we have to do? And her teachers and, and not wronging um, the teachers for this, but they gave her the criteria of what she had to do. She had to have X amount of slides. She had to have so many bullet points or text on each slide, which fundamentally goes against how effective communication will work. So I think there's a lot we get wrong, even in the start of uh, how we learn to present. And then of course, um, as we go through our career, we're never really given guidance on how to present that content. So a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk about is from curated from, from, from books, from courses that I've been able to attend. Um, and the one I've, I've already referenced here to, is the compelling, compelling communicator by Tim Pollard. Highly recommend it. I'll, I'll post a link in here. So why is communication important? And I think through all my research around communication and how it applies to maintenance and reliability, is this quote by Warren Buffett, I think, sums it up. And, and what he says, and I'll read it to, to you verbatim here, is he's quoted as saying, there is one skill set that will boost your professional value by 50%. It's a skill that will change your life and fuel success. That skill is public speaking. Learning to speak persuasively is an asset that will last a lifetime or become a liability if you don't like doing that. And when it comes to public speaking, it's not necessarily giving that big presentation in front of hundreds of people, thousands of people, 10 people. It can be presenting an idea, a concept to your boss to get that reliability project pitched. It can be asking for that promotion. Um, again, it can be asking for money from other people, right? Which is often the hardest time uh, to, to pitch an idea, right? So it will influence 
your career, undoubtedly. So what are we going to learn over this series around um, effective communication? And what I'll reference is a book, and now I don't recommend reading this. It is a dry read, but it was Dale Carnegie in 1915. In fact, he wrote the first book on um, public speaking. It was titled, I, I believe what was it titled? The, the Art of Public Speaking. And what he documents in that book is very interesting. Now, this is 1915. This was th three quarters of a century before PowerPoint was ever created. And I do want to have a caveat here. I am not putting down PowerPoint and think PowerPoint has come a long way in terms of um, helping you design, not, not the AI design references and things like that, that I think people take it a little bit too far, but in terms of rehearsals and things like that. So PowerPoint Cam has a long way, but it's a way to deliver your message, not a way to craft your message, right? So what he Dale Carnegie talked about this book was, um, he said stories were the most powerful way in communicating, right? I'm going to get into how we can tell stories specifically in a technology or technical heavy world. How can we tell those stories, right? He suggested using metaphors and analogies, which we'll get into. And again, this is before PowerPoint was even thought of, right? And what we're going to fundamentally start to uncover is most of the time an 18 minutes, 18 minute presentation can trump that of a 16 minute presentation. And that's what we're gonna explore. We're gonna explore that curse of knowledge. How do we get out of our bias in our head? How do we make content um, valuable to those attending? And I can tell you, it all comes back to too much information because what we often think about is, well, I'm gonna to present to someone and hopefully they take that message and people always ask, can I have a copy of your slide deck? Can I have your copy of your slide deck? The presentation is not meant to travel. And I'll go into more detail that in, in future podcasts, but really what we wanna do is deliver that message and then give them extra content. And then in that content, we can have more information. It's called a handout, right? Most of us know it, it can be a pamphlet, it can be other things, but that's typically can have more information. And the best speakers I've ever seen will actually reference that. Take a look on page three of the handout I gave you in the lower left-hand corner. What you're going to see is the equation of actually we, out, we actually came up with how this ball pass frequency works or whatever that is, right? So it's there for them to reference, to take back, to give to the boss, like playing this. But that presentation, we often design it because we think people are going to download it and use that. So in order to do that, because we can't be there to present that story over and over again, right, is that telephone game. Right? So we often make our presentations so that it can be transferred, and that is not effective communication. So we want to create content, external content that supports our presentation that then can be um, transmitted. Now, there is a lot of features in PowerPoint or Prezi, whatever you're using, um, that you can record slide by slide, record your voiceover. So yeah, let me give you a presentation, but instead of just giving you a PDF, it is going to be a video of my presentation, or it's just going to be an audio next to my presentation so that they get the context that you were talking about right so that's really what we're going to be talking about um and I, I really hope that you will stick with me as we go through this effective communications and if you have any ideas any content you've read if you know a great public speaker um then i, I welcome them on the show and so i want to address the fact that well what gives me the right to tell you how to communicate how to present and absolutely nothing um other than it's been a passion, I have been a practitioner. Um, I've been a supervisor, I've been a manager, I've been a leader, I've been a co-founder. Um, and I've had to do this my entire career. And believe me, and I will post some, some um, 
presentations that are public um, from my early days where I definitely got a lot of things right or wrong, I should say. And later on in my career where I think I started to, 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 to craft the messaging, um, craft that architecting, and I'll share those as well. And we can discuss them and I'll discuss them on the show about what I did wrong, what I did right, uh, what can I improve on? And fundamentally, the concept I'm going to be teaching here, and, and there's a lot of different frameworks about storytelling. Okay, so you have a hero, you have a protagonist, you have a journey, you have the new, the, the transformation, and you have what the new world looks like, which is which is all great. That's all part of storytelling. Um, but where we get it wrong is we focus too much on the delivery. And I've been backstage at big conferences when you're going out in front of thousands of people and, and you know, you're worried about does my shirt look good and all that kind of stuff. And really what matters there is it's not what you look like. If you do your presentation properly, you're doing it based on the words, the context coming out of your mouth. So what I'm gonna to try to teach you is basically three things. It's something I call the three A's. So the first one is audience. You have to be audience centric. And that's where I'll challenge people that want to help. And I am fortunate enough, I am working with someone that's doing a TEDx speak, uh, a TEDx talk, and uh, I'm just going through the process with them. Of course, I'd love to do a TEDx. I have no idea on what it would be, but I'm going through that process with them. Of, of how they're gonna craft their message and, and deliver that message to the TEDx audience. So the first was audience centric. So what is who is your audience and what do they want to know, right? And this is an interesting thing because I've seen the same slide deck being produced and used time over time over again. And I know that audience is different, right? So the fact that we keep on doing that tells us that I don't think we're focusing on audience enough. So that's the first A. The second A is the action or the ask. What action do you want those attendees, whether it's virtual or in person, what action do you want them to take? And I'm going to reference the compelling communicator and they have a, uh, a framework called the pyramid where they say actions are, or, or actions are driven by beliefs. So you need to believe something in order to take action and what beliefs do you need to have? So what action are you trying to get them to take? And chances are, um, you know, we're getting that action wrong and that's, the second part to the three A's. Now, only before we know our audience and what the action or ask of our uh, of those attendees, do we get into the third and final A, which is architecting that solution. And there is it is a bit of like an iceberg. Um, the it should be there, there's some stats out there from five to one to fifteen to one to thirty to one about the amount of time it takes to architect a message should be significantly greater than that to deliver the message. Now, I understand if you're a pro and you're doing this, specifically, it's the same topic. There is no prep required. I can't tell you how many times I've been thrown into the fire. Okay, we need you to present on this. Okay, I'm good, right? But I can tell you it probably wasn't my best. Yes, there might have been some reactions, uh, good or bad, but chances are the action I wanted them to take didn't happen. And that retellability, which is very, very important, wasn't there. So those are the three A's, audience, action, and then architecting the message. So again, thank you for joining me um, through this series. Then the first episode to really get into content is, is going to be about that curse of knowledge. So if you ever heard about engineers or technical people that when they present, they stare at their feet, we're going to address that. We're going to address how we identify that we're in the curse of knowledge. We're using the curse of knowledge. And of course, how do we fix that curse of knowledge when we're presenting? So thank you again, and, and, and I invite you to follow me on this journey around effective communication.